You're listening to House on Fire, a youth-focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis. The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas we're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for season two of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away. Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up. One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present. All we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort. Welcome to House on Fire. Welcome back, everyone, and happy International Women's Month. I'm actually pleased to announce that we are filming this very special episode on International Women's Day, which is very exciting. And for those of you who don't know, the Clio Institute is a primarily woman-led organization, and we work with trailblazers on a daily basis. This is why I am so excited to welcome our very special guest, Miami-Dade County's first ever female mayor, Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava. Yay! (laughs) The crowd is cheering. (laughs) Welcome, Daniela Levine-Cava. For um, clarity, everyone needs to know that Daniela and I go back three decades. Yes, yes. And I was her daughter's teacher and school principal, and I just love the whole family. And I am elated that you are here today because this climate crisis is eating my soul. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that gives me hope is action. Yes. And you're yes. an action-oriented woman. And you and I know the climate crisis is way beyond sea level rise. It's a saltwater intrusion. It's heat and health and food and water security. It's all of that. And you get it. I know you get it in your soul, appointing the first cheat chief heat officer, for example. Mm -hmm. So you're a role model all over the world. You need to know that. Just put that on the table. And and let's see if we could talk specifically about your motivation for some of the things you've come up with, like Shore Power Ready programs. Because so many cities, coastal cities, are ports. Yes. And what you started with this program is letting the ships turn off their engines while they're in port and use the port power, which is a huge saver of energy. How'd you come up with that and how'd you make it happen? <laughs> well, it's great to be with you. Yay, Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> I always look for what is happening that could benefit us. I learn from the world. And that is a critical difference, I think, mm-hmm. in my leadership. So when I heard about shore power, of course, my question is, why not here? Mm-hmm. So I've actually been on that for quite a few years as county commissioner. I wasn't able to move the needle, but then, hooray, <laughs> elections have consequences. Yes. So <laughs> it's a kind of thing that certainly time has come. And I had been told that these cruise companies were not willing. Hmm. But when I went to talk to them, yes, they were quite willing. You see, you see, you make things happen. You bring them in. You give them a seat at the table. This is your 
gift, Daniela. Oh, well, thank you. But I think they really get it. We're evolving. For example, nobody is now questioning climate change. We all know that climate change exists. But when I was in Glasgow for the Mm -hmm. uh, Global Climate Summit, I had that aha moment that that debate is no longer on the table. It's refreshing, isn't it? Because when I first founded Clio in 2010, you you know about founding things. Because <laughs> I, I remember when you first started forming Catalyst, it was called Imagine Miami or something like that. And you you had a vision. And similarly with Clio, we have a vision that everybody will be talking about climate and acting to abate it. And yes, they know it now, but we're not acting on it fast enough. So. Right. Role models like you that mm-hmm. push the needle is what we want to amplify for the whole world. Mm-hmm. And the youth in particular. Yes, well, they are the ones. I mean, we were told, and rightly so, that we can't just pass the baton and say, it's on you now. Obviously, we got us into this pickle, and we have to be part of the solution. But clearly, young people have a new consciousness and uh, are pushing for action. And they look up to you, Mayor. Katrina, my co-host here on this House on Fire podcast, represents the Gen Clio movement. She, she's a staff member, a young staff member at Clio, but she really drives the whole Gen Clio movement of high school and college kids. And they're full of questions. Katrina, take it away. Yeah, so another thing that you've done for the city, for Miami-Dade County that I think is just great is that you've begun the transition of getting Miami away from septic. I hate septic tanks. Just growing up in Miami, I've like lived off septic tanks for the whole time that I've lived here. And I remember when I was seven years old and you know what happens with septic and get a little messy. And we <laughs> and we had that situation in our house. And I just remember my mother screaming about it. And she's like, we're never doing this again. And then when I moved to Coral Gables, we rent. Our homeowner was like, oh, it's septic, but it's great. And then sure enough, our, within our first year of living there, that same messy situation happened. And we actually had to leave our home for three days oh. just to like oh. fix that entire issue. So my mother is Septic Tank's biggest nemesis. So I was telling her that I was interviewing you and she like saw some of the scripts. She's like, yes, I hate Septic. I'm happy we're talking about this. So like, and Septic is only going to get worse because as sea level continues to rise, it's going to be getting worse. And our state politicians are really choosing to do nothing to mitigate this issue. So do you have any important updates on this on this program? Where are the fundings coming from? And what are some of your other success stories? Well, thanks for that personal story <laughs> that clearly brings the point home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for sure people take whatever is going on with their sewage uh, mm-hmm. for granted. And that kind of personal awareness changes Mm-hmm. hearts and minds. So the Florida Keys got off of septic. They saw it coming. It was a huge undertaking, cost billions. They did it. Now we're the next up the peninsula and have to move forward. Mm-hmm. What's going to propel us to solve this problem is the bay. Mm-hmm. The bay has become very popular, mm-hmm. not only here where we know it's our lifeline and everything for our economy and recreation and our health. But the state has now invested in the Bay with a statewide task force on the health of Biscayne Bay. A lot of money that came from Governor DeSantis Mm -hmm. and the legislature for the Bay. So they're not focused per se on the conversions. They're focused on the health of the Bay. So through that lens, uh, we can get 
get more done. Uh, we, of course, have a fertilizer ban during the rainy season now. That is important as well. And we did launch uh, Connect to Protect, mm -hmm. the beginning of our conversion process in Little River, which is a very low-lying area. That's an adaptation action area mm -hmm. where the residents are informed and engaged and recognize that something has to be done. When we launched that on the edge of the bay, there were dolphins leaping mm. behind me wow. in the bay, just to underscore. <laughs> <laughs> Magical moment. That's it was. So it was great. So we're looking at ways to not only bring in the, the main lines mm -hmm. uh, and then the laterals that connect uh, to the houses, but from the property line into the house is very expensive, maybe a $5,000 ticket price. And so many, of course, can't afford that. We have a program called SELF, S-E-L-F, that is very low cost uh, loan, like 1% uh, that we're uh, staffing up. To, to help people, and it's not collateralized to their home. So it, it's it's really easy access mm -hmm. and uh, looking for other grants to help bring down the costs. You know, we have a, 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 a listening audience for House on Fire that's beyond Florida, that's national and international. So I just want to frame for those listening that Miami-Dade County and our Miami-Dade County Mayor, Daniela Levine Carver, who we're speaking with today, is sort of a role model throughout the state because we're living in a state run by a governor who really is funding adaptation, I think, really mm -hmm. well. But but putting in brakes on mitigation mm -hmm. and preventing us from really addressing the cause of the problem. Mm -hmm. And we can't do one or the other. We have to do both. So from the net metering bill, the anti-net metering bill that just passed, we hope the governor will veto, but I don't know. How do you, setting your carbon targets and being so aggressive and wonderful with your vision for Miami-Dade County, how do you get these two dichotomous things together in your head? How do you move the needle? So just like the example I gave you about septic to sewer in the mm -hmm. Bay, I think we always have to look for what is the common ground. Uh, there's actually a great quote from Reverend Jim Wallace of Sojourners, which is to get to common ground, you have to go to higher ground. So where can we agree? This governor, for example, is very anti-sugar. There's a whole history of why he's anti-sugar, but because of that understanding, he has pushed for Everglades restoration. Mm -hmm. right. So I think we need to find those commonalities and then push through. Um, now we have a chief resilience officer for the state, mm -hmm. uh, a very good guy who was working for Senator Rubio before, Wes mm -hmm. Brook. He really gets it. Mm -hmm. And I think Wes will be a very valuable partner in educating and moving the needle on the kind of funding that we need. And um, so I'm hopeful. But these things don't happen quickly. Mm -hmm. um, we have to really press forward. We know that there is the urgency of now, uh, but we, we definitely have to run with the opportunities we have and then just keep pushing further. Well, we whatever we can do to encourage you to be even bolder and badder than you already are, <laughs> Leia, because yeah. mm -hmm. the urgency of the science and the IPCC reports that are coming yes. out now, mm -hmm. it, the moment of now is almost past. So right, right. we really have to have patience, but we can't. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I, I understand. Of course I do. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, my 
I believe in inside-outside strategies. So I believe that there's a role that I can play and there's a role that you can play. And I do work with all the grassroots organizations, of course, that are pushing, because you're, you are galvanizing public opinion. You are educating and engaging. And there's another quote from John Mills, uh, when, the, the, uh, when the people uh, lead, the leaders mm-hmm. follow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like so it, is, it does require a heavy lift. For example, I am restricted in policy change to the temperature of my county commission. They mm-hmm. are the official policy body. So to lobby using the county's people and resources requires support from the county commission. Uh, it took a long time to get this fertilizer ban through. Mm-hmm. The composition of the county commission had to change. That's just one example. Mm-hmm. So for sure, when and, and how do these things happen? They happen when people show up and demand it. And so we work, we work together. We map out a strategy. Where do we galvanize public opinion? Where, where do we push forward? Who are key opinion leaders that can influence those in power? Uh, we need a strategy like that. No, I mean, there's no doubt in our mind that you're a consensus builder and you make room at the table for everybody. But it's reaching a point now where obvious things like rooftop solar, where obvious things like uh, septic to sewer ha- has to happen at a much more rapid scale. And we're really concerned. This, the youth are really concerned yeah, that but we're not moving I, fast I, I do want to um, clarify. While I'm a consensus builder, I'm not talking about consensus building. I'm talking about what it takes to move the needle. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are, in, in every social movement, you have policy advocacy, grassroots activism, moral high ground leadership, and consensus building. Mm-hmm. Those are four things that all come together and they all, they all are needed. Mm-hmm. So different people can play different roles to push, and that's all social movements have yeah. included those. Speaking of social movements, Madam Mayor, you've been very receptive and open to working with the youth. You attended our Code Red Day of Action in September and even read and responded to a Miami-Dade County youth demand letter, which brings me to my next question. At the Code Red rally, you said, I want the youth represented in our decision-making process. So I have directed the Office of Resilience to start to shape a youth council on climate accountability and work with youth leadership like you on the framework for continued engagement and input. Where are we on forming this youth council? Our Gen Clio leaders really would like to know, and we really think that the formation of this youth council can really help us get the ball moving on the needle that you're talking about. I couldn't agree more. And I hired a woman, Kimberly Brown, Mm -hmm. who is going to be lead on this effort. She's been in the job just for a couple of months Mm -hmm. and kind of getting her sea legs about her. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's on her work plan to put this together and we have talked about it and so let's you know let's have a call with her and you can help her shape it yeah let's schedule a meeting after this interview you let's, got let's it. do it that'd be great so another thing since we're just talking about getting mass momentum i i really appreciate you doing this for us but i also we're having another climate strike and it's going to be right outside your office so it's going to be really easy to come <laughs> and it's going to be happening at miami-dade government center on friday march 25th from 1 30 to 3 30 p.m will you be there well, thanks for letting me know so I can check my calendar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
in actual fact, I am making an out-of-country trip, my mm-hmm. first trade mission, going to Israel, and I believe that I don't leave till the 26th. Oh, great. So Yay. we will double-check. And I had just suggested to somebody, oh, I have some time on my calendar on the 25th. Let's do something important. By the way, that week is one water week. Mm -hmm. Great. So we're going to be putting together some activities, and we'd love to have your involvement. Yeah, that would be great. Um, And this climate strike is actually an international climate strike. So it could be your great like bon voyage before you go internationally (laughs) as well. Well, and when I go to Israel, part of it is to look at the the various environmentally um, active things they're doing because they certainly are uh, innovating in this space. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, Madam Mayor, my friend, give me the real dirt, if you have a minute, (laughs) on what are we going to do about money in politics? Oh, goodness. And specifically (laughs) about the role the utility company in the state of Florida, one in particular, is playing with the power of money in politics to influence change in the wrong direction. Yeah, so it is very sad that our country uh, has a Supreme Court decision that basically counts corporations as people and says that you know they can do whatever they please almost to influence public policy. And the amount of corporate money in politics is obscene. That to be said, One thing that I did as a county commissioner is I created more transparency. Mm -hmm. It used to be that in the county commission, if you had a separate campaign account that was not the official one, that was your political committee, you didn't have to disclose it. So it was that secret money. And um, now you have to disclose it. So at least you can see who's putting money into those accounts. But we know that there's lots of ways that people uh, hide money. So they give it to one entity mm-hmm, that then gives mm-hmm. it to another and very, very hard to, to find. Um, uh, it, it's a sad, it is a sad thing. I completely agree that money in politics is a corrosive influence and I would much prefer to see really strong limitations. Well, you know, the thing I, I wanna remind the listening audience, anybody who thinks that they might run for office, follow up. Do it. Because if we don't get more public servants like Mayor Carver, who really understand that they're serving the public, mm-hmm. then we're going to be constantly at the mercy of the powerful and the money-abled people. Yeah. You are a role model as a public servant. How do we get that higher ground to be something that the voters demand and want because mm-hmm. they're not serving the public? Yeah, I think we have to be very active. We have to be very active in campaigns and we have to make our own media to publicize what we're learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a new politician at age 59. Now, how was I successful? A lifetime of working and groundwork, yes. So all of those relationships, all of that paying forward that I had done, never anticipating I'd be running for office. So I had a lot of people that knew about me and my hard work. Uh, And I was fortunate also to know people who actually had significant amount of money that they could put in a campaign. So I really um, had the benefit of both of those things, plus my commitment uh, to to change. But it's for sure the case that young people can build that um, constituency. They can build that momentum and movement through 
their connectivity. And uh, I think, you know, Clio is a perfect launching ground. In fact, do you have a C4? We are right now, this year, we are looking into the need and the viability of a C4 for Clio. You're yes. asking us the real questions over here. <laughs> yeah, a C4 and a pack. So yeah. this is how people can, of course, you can play the game. Yes. You know, well, to be in the game, you know, you need to have the tools to be in the game. Yeah, but I want to ask you before we move on, what can we do with a C4 that we cannot do with a C3? Is raise that money to put behind the campaigns of honor and public service? Well, a C3 cannot take... Uh, uh, positions on who should be elected. Mm -hmm. It can do general civic mm -hmm. education on policy issues. It could say report cards, this person supports this issue and this person doesn't. So you could do a lot with a C3. But if you want to have money in the process... To influence that. To practice. influence that and to actually uh, endorse, you can do that through a C4 and a PAC all the more so. So there's uh, a wonderful... Um, organization called uh, the Alliance for Justice mm -hmm. that very clearly explains the different roles, the different uh, paths. Uh, and of course, groups like the League of Women Voters, right. uh, others that have, have done all of these strategies. Um, but I do think that that's wise. I think you're building, you're, you are building the public awareness, the public will. Uh, to to make the changes that are necessary for the future. And I think you should spare no avenue to get there. Let's do it. Yeah, so since we're talking a lot about PACs and money in politics, there's one utility company in particular that is currently running the state of Florida. Um, as we know, FBL has just constantly been passing laws every year that make great climate policies that municipalities are passing void. You know, last year we had the preemption legislation and this year we're having net metering getting taken away. I, It's going to pass. We just have to wait for the governor to, to sign it into law. So what can we do for the city of Miami and Miami-Dade County in a state where the major utility, utility company is just preventing any sort of productive climate legislation that we are passing at the local level. How do we stop making methane? Mm -hmm. This whole like panacea. It's not natural gas. It's not without its in you know, back when that move that years of living dangerously came mm -hmm. out, mm -hmm. the research showed that if you counted the methane loss at the source of extraction for this natural in quotation gas, that Methane is 17 times a more difficult greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So it is a nemesis that we are not confronting, and we are hearing people still say it's a bridge fuel, it's mm -hmm. cleaner, and it really is not. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how, how can you help take that on and shine a light on the perils of methane gas? What is it, Katrina, 70%? of the FPNL portfolio is methane? Yeah. So it's not just the utilities, it's the Public Service Commission. Yeah. So the Public Service Commission is appointed by the governor, basically. So it's really a matter of uh, who makes the rules. Mm -hmm. So 
we used to have a, a, a stronger, I think, consumer advocate voice at the Public Service Commission. But then again, the Public Service Commission makes the rules. So it's it's extremely difficult uh, to to change. But I I think that in my world, <laughs> um, I have an opportunity to have some difficult conversations, some straight yeah. talk. And I have started having some of those conversations. Yes, let's hear it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'll certainly do my part um, to move the needle. You know, the rationale for opposing rooftop solar is not just about the grid. It's that from a mega production perspective, it's not efficient, right? What FPL does and next era the parent company is they have mm -hmm. solar farms. Mm -hmm. Those are highly efficient and um, at effective. At they might have other downsides like mm -hmm. they use farmland, mm -hmm. but they, um, you know, in terms of if you're in charge of the utility, that's the most effective way. And I've argued quite a bit about that because we have a lot of roof space in the county, mm -hmm. and I have aggressive plans to go rooftop solar mm -hmm. on county facilities. Mm -hmm. So. I'm I'm pushing on on that uh, agenda, but methane for sure we have not done enough to explore mm -hmm. and, and expose and yes and, and yeah. for example we have now the Aspen uh, Institute yes. on climate coming up in May and uh, FPL will be at the table mm -hmm. and I think it's a really good opportunity to to look uh, at, at at what is happening in other places too you know. A utility is going to want to continue to find ways to mm -hmm. make money and mm -hmm. be profitable for shareholders, but you can be profitable and um, do the right thing and do the right thing too. <laughs> it's like weird though. So I just moved back here from Tallahassee, and Tallahassee has a city utility company, mm -hmm. and they make they're making the transition to renewable energy, but they're having they're like making sure that people are using and I. I'm quoting this, people can't see, natural gas as a big part of that transition. Hmm. They want to make sure that fracked gas is a huge part of, you know, Tallahassee's transition to clean, to clean renewable energy in the future. And they're even giving people subsidies to transition to that, oh. which is just awful, in mm -hmm, my opinion. Mm -hmm. So counterproductive. Yeah. So we actually have a Gen Clio office in Tallahassee, and we went to the city commission meeting just to dispel all of the you know, incorrect information that they were like putting in advertising. And now we're actually working with the city to change some of the information that they're outputting with that. Well, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, uh, Madam Mayor, with the Public Service Commission. I want to remind them the first two P&S, the public service aspect of that commission. Yes, it's appointed by the governor, but how do they get their mandate to serve the public good? And how do we define that? It seems to me politics has just got caught up in words and feel goods, but the real crux of the issue is not being addressed. Look, democracy is hard work. It's messy. Mm -hmm. And it's messy. Yes, it is. It is, it is. And so many have been very complacent. And they think that democracy means voting, which, by the way, it does. But. Harmful, uh, the, uh, shameful that we have such low voter turnout, too. So uh, I think crisis always creates opportunities. We got the bond referendum for um, 
climate change and affordable housing passed in the city of Miami because Hurricane Irma happened just in the middle of the election cycle and the streets were flooded in downtown Miami. And so people got religion. So, you know, it is terrible because these things do happen too little too late. But we have to exploit every tragedy. Correct. Mm -hmm. Sad but true. The magic wand. Yes, Mayor. uh, We truly acknowledge that you got your hands full in a state that is just constantly making it difficult to pass any climate mitigation strategies. So let's just say you had a magic wand and you could do anything you want for the state of Florida in terms of climate. What would you do? Oh, my. Yes. Use that wand well. Yeah, because there's so many aspects. That's the way we opened. Mm -hmm. So many important aspects. And it's all all connected. Well, I'd like to have incentives to do the right thing. I think, for example, right now, the state is awash in federal relief money. Uh, That money could be used to uh, give people what they need to change their lifestyle. Um, Obviously, transit, Mm -hmm. we need to, you know, transit is not something just for people who can't afford to have cars. We have to have choice transit. So that people get out of cars. Um, We have to have electrification of the fleet, which we have in Miami-Dade County, the largest in the state, coming. I mean, it's all on order, (laughs) but we need Mm -hmm. to incentivize uh, to make that happen. Um, uh, Incentives, uh, really basically incentives to um, uh, compost, incentives Mm -hmm. to not have food waste, uh, Mm. incentives to build in a more sustainable way. So all of these things do need a carrot and a stick. And we do have an opportunity now in the short term. These are This is about our future. My daughter, by the way, uh, Eliza, who is the real environmentalist in the mm-hmm. family, and she works at the Audubon Naturalist in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland, is conservation director. She gave me a book to read, which I'm making my way through, mm-hmm. called Ministry of the Future. Mm. And uh, it is a kind of science fiction approach to climate change and really a lot of harsh lessons there. Well, it's envisioning a, a reality Correct. that we can hope, hopefully aspire to. The, it's Well, I'm in the depressing beginning part of the book <laughs> where, where we're experiencing all the consequences of not acting fast enough, but my daughter claims that there are more kernels of hope in there. Well, I want to sit down with Eliza. I know Eliza very well. She is not just brilliant, she is determined to get the right thing done. You know, there's an expression in Trinidad that says, goat don't make sheep, mm. which literally means the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. And she is she is a mini-me for you, Daniela. And um, more power to her. Well, that magic wand might indeed be used for creating many, many more carrots to allow people to do the right thing and incentivize it. Yes. I worry a lot about heat and health, and yes. air conditioning, and yes, yes. outdoor laborers. And I know you do too. Your social justice lens is so mm-hmm. well well defined. So actually, earlier today, I was on a workshop exactly on that topic with Jane Gilbert, the first mm-hmm. in the world chief heat officer, which I appointed. Exactly. And we do come, we are coming up with guidelines. We have a heat season, officially, mm-hmm. and we are creating spaces to protect people and 
you know, guidelines for, for businesses and individuals to be safe. Yeah, and for some people, guidelines is not enough. So when you get that magic wand, you turn <laughs> those guidelines into mandates so that yes. employers of outdoor workers aren't just trusted to give them hydration breaks and rest, that it is mandated to do that. Yes, well, our state does preempt us from doing a lot of things that are worker protections, but I certainly agree with you, and we will push for those things that we can have control. And then state advocacy with the help of the uh, CLIO uh, advocates to get these things passed at the state level. And just a shameless plug, my daughter <laughs> is hosting a uh a program called Naturally Latinos oh. Conference in D.C., March 22 to 26. And so you can find out more at anshome.org. I will look and I will push that out for her. Thank Eliza you. Eliza deserves that. Well, Madam Mayor, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here. I know you have a lot more fire in your belly than your calm tone suggests. <laughs> so we at Clio call ourselves arsonists. We believe that education is about lighting fires, not just filling pails. And the youth in particular are really anxious to work with you. So let's move on that youth council formation and getting their voice out there. You can rest assured that any member of the youth council that comes through Clio is very well informed. We believe in giving them the platform and a microphone, but we tell them they better know their stuff. They better steep themselves in information. Passion alone cannot drive change. Mm -hmm. They need to be informed. So you will love working with them. I know you already do. Yeah. I remember what in 2015, when we got the Office of Resilience set up, yes. I was in the audience <laughs> in, those, in the county chambers. Yes. And those young students yes. were up there speaking truth to power. They and were. You and were on the stage going, Caroline, who are these kids? Who are <laughs> and uh, they, a couple were wearing life jackets. Yes. That, and, and excuse me, but that matters. You have to make some memorable visuals, visuals. Yes. Yeah, and that truly uh, clinched the deal. You remembered it. And oh. we got change. We got tremendous Absolutely. change. And you have only added so much to the Office of Resilience. And I am personally elated with the work that they're doing. I keep pushing them because that's my work role, but I'm really impressed with the scope of work that they're undertaking right now. So we're in the process of identifying not just the plans, because we have the plans, but what are those action items that we can accomplish yes. in the next 18 months? Oh, they're hearing me because I keep screaming about stop mapping the problems and start mapping the solutions for heaven's yeah. sake. That's so, it. That's it. Okay. The power is yours. Keep <laughs> doing great things, Mayor. We are so grateful to have you here on House on Fire podcast. Please come back with even more news as soon as you have it. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II Family Foundation. Thank you so much for making this happen. Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available.